Hi everybody, Liam here. I just wanted to say hello to the new listeners who might be checking out this show for the first time, thanks to the wonderful article in this week's East Bay Express. Don't worry about the chapter four part and the title of this episode. All the shows in this mini-series are standalone, so you don't need to have heard the first three for this one to make sense. Also, I've got one more Long Lost Oakland event coming up. It's on April 11th at the Octopus Literary Salon. Check out eastbayyesterday.com for details on that. And if you haven't checked out the Long Lost Oakland map on Kickstarter yet, the clock is ticking. The campaign ends on April 17th, so don't dally if you want one. Okay, thanks for listening. On with the show. You're listening to East Bay Yesterday. This show is about history, but it's not stuck in the past. Let's begin. Let's begin. tried to fly for 5,000 years before he finally hit on the idea of the balloon. And it took him only a short time after that to discover that ballooning presents four primary problems. That's from a video that was produced by the U.S. Navy in 1944. And before we get into those problems, here's why I was looking into the history of hot air balloons in the first place. That all started because of this rather striking picture that Bennett Hall got from the Oakland History Room and very patiently restored to make it a a pretty stunning image. That's historian Gene Anderson, author of Legendary Locals of Oakland. The person who restored the photo that he's talking about, Bennett Hall, he's also a local historian. What that photo shows is something very unusual happening right in the middle of downtown Oakland. The year is 1909, and I'll let Gene take it from there. The balloon itself is, unlike a a modern hot air balloon, this is is spherical, um, or very close to spherical. And there's a crowd of thousands of people gathered around uh, just off 14th Street near Franklin and Webster. There's recognizable buildings around, including the old city hall, but uh, mostly there's just thousands of people just milling about and staring at this amazing balloon that's, you know, it's probably four or five stories tall. And, and what does it say on the balloon? City of Oakland. And the whole thing is covered in a giant net, uh, which then goes down to, to support the basket where the passengers are. Those passengers were Park Van Tassel and Albert Vandernalen Jr. I'm not sure if they had, like, a sponsorship deal to name their balloon the City of Oakland, but calling it that definitely made local politicians very happy. Here's part of a speech that a city council member gave right before liftoff. Ahem. The initial ascension of this magnificent airship is expressive of the conditions in our beautiful city today. And even as this finely modeled balloon will soar above, so is Oakland, rising to the upper heights 
on and above other cities of the Pacific Coast. Sure, this speech, it sounds old-timey, but the prediction of Oakland rising to the upper heights is a message that's been repeated over and over and over again. Ever since the gold rush days, business leaders and politicians have been promoting Oakland's inevitable ascent to the ranks of the world-class metropolis. And in 1909, it looked like it just might happen. Thanks to all the refugees from the San Francisco earthquake, Oakland's population doubled in under a decade, and the town was booming. People still are Oakland boosters and things, but in those days, it was a much, much bigger deal to, uh, to Oakland because it was very, still very much in the shadow of San Francisco. And not, and not just Oakland, but everything outside of San, San Francisco and Los Angeles was kind of scrambling for its peace or its, its place in California. Like one of the publications uh, around that time was called Alameda County, Athens of the Pacific. This is something else you see a lot in East Bay history. This place is always defining itself in relation to something else. In the 1920s, people nicknamed Oakland the Detroit of the West because of all the auto plants. West Oakland was called the Harlem of the West in the 1950s because of its thriving black music scene. And more recently, the New York Times and others have called us the next Brooklyn or Brooklyn by the Bay. In a sense, these nicknames were all about hyping a boom. But here's the thing about the boom times. They all eventually bust, some quicker than others. And when you read through the history of Oakland's economic cycles, some of the would-be booms never even got off the ground. And a lot of those that did crashed sooner than the boosters expected. By the time we get to the end of this story, it'll be pretty obvious why the city of Oakland hot air balloon makes a pretty good metaphor for all this. You're listening to East Bay Yesterday. I'm your host, Liam O'Donoghue. Stay tuned. The world's first balloon, the hot air mother. Amazing invention of two Frenchmen, the great Montgolfier brothers. The world's first passenger flight from Paris, France, November 11th, 1783. Sensational, sensational. Or is it? Hey, something's wrong, look out! Balloons were the very first way that people flew, but it took a long time to get them right. Being useful in war helped things along quite a bit. As early as 1794, the French used tethered balloons to scout the movements of enemy troops. Never before had soldiers been able to observe battle from such a vantage point. Tethered balloons were also used in the American Civil War to map battlegrounds and direct artillery. Besides being used by the military, people also started using balloons as entertainment. Actually, I'm not sure if entertainment is really the right word. I'll just tell the story and you can decide. So it's 1853 and a big crowd is gathered down by the Oakland Wharf to watch the first flight in California history. There's a problem. The guy who's supposed to be flying the balloon is too heavy. People in the audience are getting bored. So he picks a random 16-year-old volunteer out of the crowd. The kid, whose name is Gates, 
he gets in the balloon and sure enough it flies up up and away and then all of a sudden according to media reports the crowd turns morbid they realize this kid is probably gonna die the balloon didn't even have a real basket just a wooden plank and some ropes but he didn't die Gates landed 50 miles away in Solano County, and he sprained his ankle, but he was able to get to Benicia and catch a boat back to Oakland the next day. Whew. Part of it was just the novelty. Everyone today has you know, seen airplanes flying overhead and has probably seen uh, a blimp flying overhead at some point and seen pictures of hot air balloons. But then, you know, back then, this was totally new. Again, that's historian Gene Anderson. Pretty soon, amusement parks started using balloons as a spectacle to attract crowds. Here's Gene reading an ad from an old newspaper. Behold, Billy Gilbert and Goldie Water, sensation at 3.30, grand balloon ascension and parachute leap by the famous lady aeronaut, Miss Frankie Denman, grand concert by the 5th Infantry, take Piedmont cars, admission free, free. Yeah, this was all really dangerous. Here's an example of one of Oakland's more notorious tragedies. The accident you're referring to uh, happened in 1897, and uh, Blair's Park was a small amusement park tucked up behind Mountain View Cemetery. They had a uh, balloon go up from there, and frequently what they would do is have the balloon go up tethered and then have an acrobat hanging below the balloon and perform uh, while hanging below the balloon. In this case, when the balloon was released, and you know the bystanders were helping with with the you know holding onto ropes and things, and when the balloon was released, a six and a half year old Bertie Hill didn't let go of his rope, and he went riding on up the balloon, and unfortunately there's not much they could do. Uh, he, he went up pretty high and eventually you know got tired, lost his grip, and fell to his death. Of course, like every form of transportation ever invented people wanted to race them. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, balloonists started to get more competitive and formed aero clubs. The one in Oakland was started by a dude named J.C. Mars, which was apparently his real name. His balloonist name was Curtis Daredevil. The aero clubs were basically engineers and, and adventurer types who just wanted to... Uh, you know, give it a go. It was it was a new thing. It's like being an early adopter for you know for tech, a newer technology. Um, consider them early adopters for air travel. All this is to say that local balloon history goes pretty deep. The balloonist can look back on over a hundred and fifty years of proud tradition shared by many great and courageous men. Wait, wait, wait! Hold up. It wasn't always men. The first woman on the Pacific coast to fly in a balloon race was a quote-unquote East Oakland society girl named Margaret Miller. I'll post a picture of her aeronaut outfit on social media because it's pretty crazy. She looks like a cross between Little Red Riding Hood and a mummy. So it's no wonder that the media loved this stuff. They even came up with slang, like calling hot air balloons cloud bumpers. Looking back, it's easy to see why people were so captivated by this whole scene. It took a long time before airplanes and balloons became a regular thing. 
A lot of people were experimenting with balloons, with gliders, uh, with all sorts of different ways of, of flying. You've probably seen some of those outtakes of, you know, people tried making planes with wings that flapped and uh, just all, all sorts of different ways of trying to get in the air. Because obviously they'd seen birds, birds could do it. So some, they knew somehow this had to be done, you know, could be done. History is a game, you know, a game of telephone that, like, each time it's repeated, it changes a little. Keep that in mind, because now I'm going to tell you about the two men who piloted the City of Oakland balloon, Park Van Tassel and Albert Vandernalen Jr. Some of the details about Van Tassel's life are a little murky. For example, some reports say that he was a general in the Persian army. I don't think that's true. But here are some things that do seem accurate. In 1882, Park Van Tassel was running a saloon in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He decided to buy a hot air balloon to impress the crowds at an upcoming 4th of July celebration. The balloon was made from cow intestines held together by stitches and glue. At first, it wouldn't take off. So Van Tassel threw a sandbag out of the basket it hit a spectator, who later sued him. When the balloon did take off, Van Tassel waved an American flag, and the crowd went nuts, except for probably the guy who got hit by the sandbag. Anyway, Van Tassel flew to about 14,000 feet, but then he descended too fast, and he might have died if he didn't land in a nice, fluffy cornfield. Not too bad for his first flight. You couldn't go to school and learn how to do this, you went and uh, and tried it, and if you if you lived and liked it, you know you might decide to uh, to do it for a living. But it's a, a lot of, pardon the pun, flying by the seat of your pants. His second flight didn't go so well. He crashed within about fifteen minutes. But he was addicted to the thrill. He got another balloon and went out on tour. A lot of these shows didn't go very well either. In eighteen eighty four. He took off from San Francisco and crashed into the bay, almost drowning. This was very early in, in balloon travel. It wasn't like you could order a balloon off the internet and, and get it and then, you know, turn on the burner and fill it up. They doubtless had to make a lot of the things that they, uh, that they were using that were par different parts of the balloon. So it was all experimenting. And so when something went wrong, that might have been the first time that ever happened to someone. And so you, I think de definitely had to be uh, a bit of a daredevil to want to go up in one of these things. Van Tassel may have been a daredevil, but apparently he lost his nerve after the bay crash. And this is pretty crazy. He started hiring somebody to impersonate him. Here's how we know that. The San Francisco Chronicle reported in 1889 that Van Tassel had been devoured by sharks after crashing off the coast of Honolulu. After that, he had to admit that the real victim was his body double, an old friend from Albuquerque. But Van Tassel must have gotten his courage back, because in 1909, it was definitely him, sitting in a balloon in the middle of downtown Oakland, getting ready to take off, while thousands watched. Unlike the veteran aeronaut Park Van Tassel, the other guy in the City of Oakland balloon would be flying for the first time. Here's a little bit about Albert Vandernalen. He was 
a pretty remarkable guy. Besides being uh, an engineer, he ran a uh, engineering school that his father had founded. And this isn't like computer software or computer hardware. And it's not even as specific as, say, uh, civil engineering or something. It's like all the engineering fields that they knew and, you know, a bit of physics and everything else mixed in. The fact that, you know, he was an engineer and surveyor and uh, he, was, he was familiar with mechanical things, you know, made him, made him uh, a good choice for, for being involved in the, the early balloon days. Gene knows all this because he built a page about Vandernalen on the Oakland Wiki. During the research, he uncovered some surprises. I think Vandernalen was a bit of a showman as well. Somewhat to his family's, uh, or at least his parents' consternation, he was also an actor. Okay, now it totally makes sense that this middle-aged engineer with a family and a good career would get into one of these death traps. Being an actor and a dancer, he was used to being in the limelight. And so, you know, that was probably part of the appeal of going up in a balloon, too, because, you know, he got to have his picture in the paper and be quoted and, and uh, something he'd always be able to point to and say, I did this. He was looking for some fame, too. <laughs> And maybe he was even feeling a little rebellious. Like, this was finally his chance to do something he wanted to do, instead of following the path that was expected. Being an actor and, or a dancer was not generally a high-paying profession. And so his father, who had founded the Vandernalen School of Engineering, was not happy when he quit a railroad surveying crew, um, which was a pretty decent-paying job, to open a dance studio in San Diego in 1881. His memoirs say his father hit the ceiling. <laughs> Screw you, Dad! If I can't dance, I'm gonna get in my balloon and fly away! Extra, extra, read all about it. Monster balloon, city of Oakland, soars aloft on initial voyage. Media coverage says that Vandernalen's daughter was sobbing uncontrollably as the balloon took off. Can't really blame her. Not like you could hire an experienced ground crew from, from somewhere because no one else had done that before. Um, you know, it's not like somebody could, could drive along paved roads and follow them as they flew to be ready for their landing. Uh, it was kind of a mystery where they're going to end up. It took three months to make the balloon. The basket was wicker. The ropes were hemp. And I'm not sure what the, quote, 80-foot gas bag was made from, but it doesn't look like intestines. When they hooked the massive balloon up to the city's gas line, it took 10 hours to fill. They took off from Oakland, in the middle of downtown Oakland, and things, things went okay initially. But the first time they flew the balloon, they hadn't really uh, anticipated this. The wind was going the wrong way, and... They ended up getting blown out over the bay and kind of stranded there for a while. They eventually were saved when they drifted back over land and a, a young boy uh, grabbed the rope and <laughs> was, was able to secure them and, and uh, people were able to bring them down. Since the balloon hadn't been destroyed, they decided to try again. The second voyage was quite a bit more exciting, though. The wind was blowing more the direction they, they expected, but it was blowing harder, I think, than they thought. Pretty soon after they take off, they release a carrier pigeon with a message, 
blaming the ground crew for letting them go too soon. It said, Who cut us loose without command? Not enough ballast! Ballast is the stuff you use to weigh the balloon down so it doesn't float too high. Either way, they cruised to about 5,000 feet and then got caught in a gnarly wind current. They ended up flying all the way out to Livermore and having something of a rough landing. We take up the fourth major problem in ballooning now, the landing. Down she comes. Up, down. Up, down. Look out for fences, houses, and high-tension wires. Bad medicine. In the old days, before the invention of four-wheeled brakes and the rip panel, a balloonist had to throw out the anchor and pray. A landing was a cross between a commando fight and a rodeo. The balloonist didn't always win, poor fellow. I guess the wind was still blowing when they set down because the balloon basket was dragged across the ground uh, over fences, bushes, everything. And when they finally came, came to a stop, they were kind of out in the middle, middle of nowhere at the time. And they, uh, uh, of course, and, you know, wasn't like they could call Lyft and uh, hop a ride. They uh, walked to where the train was and took the train back home. Extra, extra, read all about it. Oakland aeronauts, bruised and bleeding, are dragged over fences by derelict gas bag. That's a real headline, by the way. Here's how Van Tassel and Vandernaland say it went down. Literally. I cannot remember how many times we arose and descended, each time striking the ground with a terrible blow. The cage was smashed, and when we finally landed in the field, we were both bleeding in many places, and so weak that we could barely stand. <sighs> Otherwise, I would say the trip was successful. That's a direct quote. As soon as he got back to Oakland, Van Tassel swore that he'd fly again as soon as possible. Sure enough, a few months later, he was taking off in a balloon called Greater Oakland. It was supposed to be a race against a balloon called the Queen of the Pacific, but neither of them finished. I've heard that Greater Oakland was sponsored by a real estate company, but I couldn't find the sources to verify that. It makes sense though. Remember at the beginning of this episode when I said that the balloon metaphor would become obvious? You know, comparing the boosterism around economic cycles to hot air balloons isn't the most original idea. Bubbles inflating and deflating, sometimes popping, lots of hot air. But I think Oakland's version of this is particularly overblown. Oh, you don't believe me? How is Oakland different than any other city that wants to be successful and attract businesses and promote civic pride? Okay, okay, fair question. You want to hear some examples of the hyper-optimistic ways that folks have been talking for more than a century about how Oakland is destined to become a great metropolis of the West Coast? I got you covered. 
This is what I came up with in about 15 minutes of digging around in the library's history room. We've got some old clippings from the Chamber of Commerce file here. You know what? Let's just dive right into it. This is a Tribune headline from 1903. Oakland is coming metropolis. The article says, there is no better place on earth to live than Oakland. It predicts that this gem city will dominate San Francisco to the point where San Francisco will become Brooklyn to Oakland's Manhattan. Okay, moving right along. Here's some promotional literature from a few years later. Oakland is the city of opportunity. Along with the word potential, you hear opportunity a lot. So much potential, so many opportunities. Let's see. It also says that Oakland is, quote, a mecca of manufacturers. And it also says that Oakland is destined to become the commercial city of the Pacific Coast. That last part is in all capital letters. Lots of these things talk about how our wonderful weather is conducive to commerce. I found an envelope from the mayor's office that says, quote, no day of winter is uncomfortably cool and no day of summer is unpleasantly warm. Sounds lovely. It also says there is no city in the U.S. that boasts brighter prospects or greater opportunities. More opportunities. Checking in a few years later with a 1914 issue of the Rotary Clubs magazine, we find that if you, quote, come to Oakland when sick or sad, you will receive joy and health. Well, that's quite a pitch. Let's just skip over the Great Depression all the way to 1948 and see how things are going. According to this editorial in the Oakland Post Inquirer, the Chamber of Commerce's most important priorities include continuing presentation of Alameda County as the industrial center of the amazing New West. So maybe Oakland isn't quite a metropolis yet, but we're getting there. The headline of that editorial, by the way, is Oakland Chamber of Commerce has a new look. Remember that part about the new look. You'll be hearing it again in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. Okay, you get it. You know what? Let's take a break and check out this 1954 promotional video from the Junior Chamber of Commerce. Urban Renewal is a program for all of Oakland. It can and it will revitalize our city's life and values. City officials and department heads have worked together to assure steady progress and proper planning for Oakland's rejuvenated future. Yikes. Urban renewal is a whole another story, but I can assure you that it did not rejuvenate the future for most Oaklanders. Okay, back to the clips. Let's see, 15 years later, Here's Mayor John Redding promising that Oakland is a city with a changing face, a new image. Sounds familiar. 20 years after that, 1987, how's the, uh, how's the Chamber of Commerce doing? Uh-oh, that's not a good headline. Ailing Oakland Chamber sued for not making rents. 
up and down, up and down. I could go on and on, but here we are more than a century after the Oakland is coming metropolis headline and the population of Oakland has still never topped half a million people. I'm not saying that bigger would necessarily be better. I'm just pointing out that boosters have been talking about how Oakland is on the verge of reaching its potential for a very long time, but it never quite seems to happen. And maybe we should be grateful for that. Going back to the balloon analogy here, when Van Tassel and Van Der Nalen were inflating the city of Oakland, they had no idea where it might go or who it might land on. And despite all the planning, business leaders and politicians can't predict exactly where economic bubbles will take the city either or who they might land on. In case you were wondering, Albert Vandernalen lived in Oakland until he died at the age of 97. I don't think he ever flew in a balloon again, which probably helped him get that old. Captain Park Van Tassel never gave up the dream. He kept flying and crashing for another 10 years. After that, he started a company that made toy balloons for kids. When he died in Oakland in 1930, Newspapers around the country invariably mentioned the irony of the daredevil aeronaut passing away peacefully at home in bed. This is East Bay Yesterday, and I've been your host, Liam O'Donohue. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. Me again. If you liked this episode, please, please... Spread the word about the Long Lost Oakland Project. The map is only available for two more weeks, and buying it will really help me to continue making new episodes of this podcast. You can find all the details at eastbayyesterday.com. And if you want to see these amazing photos of the city of Oakland hot air balloon, follow East Bay Yesterday on social media, because I'll be sharing some very cool images that Bennett Hall restored. Okay, music for this episode came from Sid Valentine's Patent Leather Kids, Scott Joplin, and Amor and Gardner. The theme song music came from Anatech. Instead of doing the regular shoutouts, I'm going to dedicate this episode to one resource that I personally use all the time, the Oakland Wiki. It's at localwiki.com Oakland. Gene Anderson is one of the main contributors to this amazing site, so I'll let him make the pitch. The great thing about the Oakland Wiki is it's like Wikipedia. Anybody can contribute. But unlike Wikipedia, there are no stories that aren't important enough or the person wasn't famous enough. If there's a story about Oakland and its history, we encourage it. And as a result, we've gotten some fairly obscure stories, obscure businesses that, that you know came and went. And there are a few traces of, but... It's because people uh, who were connected to them and had a few materials or had the interest uh, got involved and wrote something.
And so I encourage everybody out there, you know, tell, tell your piece of Oakland history, um, you know, whether it goes back, you know, 10 years or four generations, tell some of your Oakland story. Um, anybody can edit and please do. Okay. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. So I'll be back really soon with chapter five of the long lost Oakland miniseries.